Welcome to this episode of Keep the Hotel Empty. I'm your host, Eric Paul. In studio today, we are grateful to welcome in Ben and Matt from the progressive indie rock band In Transit. In this episode, the guys discuss their fun first mantra, what they do to write and record, and some of the things that are on the horizon for In Transit. Please enjoy. Welcome to Keep the Hotel Empty. Today we've kept the hotel empty to welcome in Ben and Matt of In Transit, a progressive indie band from Sarasota, Bradenton area, Florida. How are you guys doing today? Awesome. Doing good. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you for coming. So I like to start at the start. For those that aren't familiar with you, take me to when and how In Transit comes together. Um, in Transit originally started as a band called Rumors of War in 2003. Um, and we were kind of a post-hardcore emo band, um, had a great run and the band kind of ended just due to, you know, us getting older, having family issues, marriages, kids, things like that. Life. Life in general. And, um, I think about 13 years went by and we were asked to do a reunion show. Oh, nice. Uh, and so, you know. Um, didn't, didn't think it would happen, but I ended up calling the guys and saying, what do you think? And everybody was like, absolutely. That'll be a blast. Let's do it. So we, uh, we all got back together, did what you would imagine, like, you know, ran the songs, did, did, did a couple reunion shows, had an absolute blast. And when it was all done, we're like, you know, this is actually, this feels fantastic. It feels great to be doing this again. Um, and some of us wanted to keep going. Um, some of us still had, you know, even more family commitments, right. And, and couldn't. So we're like, well, what if we just, those of us who want to keep playing, like, let's just dump the rumors of war thongs, uh, songs, dump the name, start completely over from scratch as, as a whole new project. All of our musical tastes had grown. Right. Um, and you know, we, we kind of wanted to get away from the, you know, the simple raw, um, songs that we had intentionally written back in the early 2000s and really kind of lean into, okay, how how big, how expansive, how just, you know, free form can we, can we write this style of music that we love? And so that was kind of where In Transit um, was birthed out of, is just kind of a, a, a rebirth of a, of a previous project. And um, it's just kind of grown. We've, we've been together for about, Almost five years now, we've yeah. been kind of reactivated under this 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 new name and just started all over. And it's um, it's been great. Um, you know, early on, you know, we were really as a band trying to make it. You know, in the music industry, um, and so how you behave when you're trying to make a career out of music and, and the, the way you approach music, almost like a job, mm-hmm. um, is different to now where we're literally doing it because we love it. Like we have no goals. There's not money involved. There's, we're not trying to get somewhere or, or, you know, go on tour for weeks and weeks and get a record deal. We're literally all just doing it because we absolutely love it. And it, it 
brings a lot more freedom to the music and a lot more joy because we're just we're we're literally just here doing this because we love it and it's made much I think it's made much better music. Yeah. Yeah, well with I gather you guys the passion is the nucleus of this one. Oh, now. 100%. So how many was was the first band a three piece or four piece? How who made it who didn't? How did what, what kind of state were you in when you made that transition? It was a four piece. Um, you know, um, two guitars, drum and bass. Um, and when we moved forward, it was initially still a four piece, but we're like, we, we want to make this more. So our, our other bass player at the time had a good friend that played, had just started dabbling in, in analog synthesizers again. Like he, he was like, um, did it as a hobby, but he started getting more serious about it and went out and got some. He was also a DJ, like a, a great DJ who, nice. who did that as a side job. And so we kind of offered, hey, like, why don't you come jam with us? We'd like to add another layer to things. And so needless to say, he 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 loved it. It worked out well. We love him to death. His name's Keith. Um, and he brings this whole ingredient to the music of, you know, analog synthesizers with all kinds of just wild patches and 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 tones and oscillations. And, you know, he he uses his DJ deck as an instrument, like just for manipulating sounds and and fading and, and bringing in samples uh, cool. and stuff like that. So he he literally uses his, his synth and he uses DJ, DJ deck as an active instrument. And he, he like, I think he's our secret ingredient. <laughs> he's the secret sauce. <laughs> yeah. So he was someone that came on when you made the transition. Yeah, he was someone that added later. And then our our, our original bass player, Stiggs, um, again, just family and work things. So right. um, he, um, he had to step away. And Matt's always been a very close friend of the band. Um, but Matt is an incredible guitar player. And I, I, I messaged him and I said, listen... <laughs> I know you're an incredibly shredding guitar player, but we really need a bass player. And uh, you know, would you be interested in joining the band to, to 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 play bass, even though you don't play bass at all? And he was just like, "Dude, I just want to play again." You know, the passion. Yeah. He was, he, so, he, what were you he, thinking? What was that day like when that phone rings? Uh, it's funny. Or the email comes in, or however. How did he, it happen? It's a Facebook message. So he shoots me a message. He goes, "Hey, I." Uh, I was maybe 2021 20, somewhere in there. You're like, Hey, join the band. I'm like, I think at the moment I couldn't, uh, cause I was in a financial hard spot. So I'm like, you know what? Let me sleep on it. Give it a minute. I think it was like maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month later. He egged me again. I'm like, okay, you know what? And I, I had that kind of moment. I'm like, I'm, I was in that kind of transitionary period myself in my life and what I'm doing and, and everything. So I decided to take a shot. I'm like, you know what? Fine. I've played bass before, you know, I don't own any gear, so I went and I just got some cheap stuff and right. just learned the songs and joined. And it was great. I mean, it was probably, it is, in my opinion now, the best decision I've made joining a band. Um, not only, like, the camaraderie of it, but, again, the nature of the music and how, I, it's weird, right? Like, it's, the idea of, I guess, in transit is doing when writing songs, doing a little bit different than you would normally write. So you're going to write this one riff. Well, you're going to do it 100%, like 180 degree different, you know, riff for the band. Right. So that has not only changed my writing, like all of our kind of writing aspects and how we get things together. But um, yeah, making that whole decision and just jumping in head first is something that I've, you know, 
haven't done professionally is really, really cool. So it's how really long fun. between when you when the first band decides to transition, for lack of a better term, to when you've got everybody settled and you're writing your first songs? What's those first rehearsals like? Um it was a lot of fun. It was really exciting because we we adopted one philosophy immediately that we we still pretty much hold true is if we're writing music, you know, we'll we'll start building the songs and we'll stop ourselves repeatedly and be like, okay, we want to go in this direction for the song. This is how we want to structure the song because that's what feels comfortable to us and that's what we know. So we go, okay, we're going to do the opposite of that. You know, like if we think we should be building here, we're actually going to stop and drop and cut and and go in a completely different direction that's uncomfortable to us. And we almost do it more for fun, but it's made uh, just, it's a challenge for us, which makes it fun. Like we're forcing ourselves out of our comfort zone when writing music and it's forcing us to write music that we're not used to writing. So the end result is something that everybody's super excited about because it's always going to feel new. It's like, you know, when your brain wants to go this way and you force it right. to creatively go in a direction that you're uncomfortable in, sometimes you uncover some pretty cool stuff, especially when it's, you know, I think five great people who love writing music. I mean, there's, yeah. there's no one songwriter in our band every everyone contributes equally all the time you know sometimes one person typically will come in with an idea but we purposely come in with only an idea instead of a completed project because mm-hmm. we kind of yeah. set it in front of everyone and go here's some pieces let's let's build something with it you know and seeing how it morphs is so much fun like if anyone like uh, like Adam our guitar player will come in and have like he he's a riff salad guy, and I love him for that because he'll just be like I have riffs every day, all day, like love breakfast, that. lunch, dinner. Love he's got it. them all, and like you'll, you'll take like out of seven riffs, you'll take like little pieces out of all of them, and they end up mashing into this really cool monotony of like or mixture, not monotony, a mixture of of, of riff, and it, it works so well, and just seeing how something goes from like cool, we have like a, maybe an intro and a verse. And the whole song after that is completely like it just swirls and changes, and it just turns into something that you it, a whole different degree of when we started. Yeah, and Dropbox is definitely our friend. It's just <laughs> it's filled with many many fifteen second you know riffs, nice. and we'll just kind of go into the basket when we do. You know, it's funny that you brought that up. Like the we're we're putting out a new single, uh, I think November tenth, and. It, it takes us no less than six months to write a song. Yeah. Um, and this one that we're releasing, literally when we started writing it, like my first thought was like, this is just, it's it's this part and this part and this part. And like, none of it makes any sense and none of it goes together. <laughs> and now I listen to the final cut and it's, it's just, it's seamless and it flows. And I'm like, I don't know how we managed to, you know, take all this and, and combine it into actually one cohesive song, but it's pretty, you know, it's pretty exciting when it's done. Yeah. Well, when you have not one distinct songwriter, how do you handle those forks in the road? I know other artists will say, we just always, you know, try to bear in mind, we're going to play to the strengths of the song, or we'll try to play to the strengths of whoever was maybe spearheading that part, maybe who came with the riff or the beat or whatever. How do you, how do you delegate what's going to be what over a six month period? Like no ego. 
Yeah. Like there's there's just no ego. Yeah. It's we're we're here to serve the songs at the end of the day. And we all know collectively like our talents and weaknesses and everything like that. And we lean on what we need to to serve the song. It kinda sometimes we'll sit on a song for a month and be like, Well, you know, we'll kinda riff this idea here and there and then eventually something will just click and then we'll we'll have the song. But like going into saying like, well maybe let's change this part and have it go do 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 instead of do 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 or whatever. Right. You know, whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, All right, cool, let's try it out. And then we run that section over and over and over and go, Okay, that feels better. Let's add this in here. And then we just build upon that. So saying like not saying, Oh, your part sucks, don't play that. More of Oh, this also like I hear this. Let's let's try it, and then if it works, and everyone kind of agrees, we are cool, and we just move on. It's pretty seamless, easy. No no feelings hurt. Yeah, <laughs> I I I think it's something to say that you know we've been doing what we've been doing for close to five years, and I don't know if we've ever had a single disagreement or an argument or any kind of negative interaction ever. Nothing that's lasted more than like never. what four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you got to have that in the little creative tug of war. That's yeah, part of it. Like, That's supposed to be some of the fun. Yeah, you can you can put your foot down. You're allowed to put your foot down. You're like, <laughs> hey, look, I really think this is. And then like, but like we, we communicate, we talk, explain why you think this and this here. You don't have to go into this huge like you know thesis about it. But yeah, right. Yeah. So that that uh, theme of of being able to set your ego aside is a big one. It seems like for bands that are in the position like you guys are, where you can write collaboratively. How did you get to that point? where you don't feel protective about a riff. Nobody starts there. You don't feel protective like every bit of your composition is your baby. Did you start trusting one another, or did you know you wanted to, so you let it develop? I think, well, for me, it was, I never really cared. As a musician, like, if something didn't work, I'm like, all right, cool, well, it didn't work. And I'll just shelve it or, or do something later. Um, at least, I mean, that's at least my perspective of it. I'd, I would probably say the latter because, again, the whole the whole idea, the whole philosophy of when we started this project it was just going to be for fun, right? And it's like, let's just do whatever we want. We don't have an agenda. We're not trying to accomplish anything with this. We just want to do what makes us happy. And what makes us happy is being in a room with each other, making, making sounds, making music, you know? Yeah. And the feeling that we get doing that is terrific. So how we get there really doesn't need to be about, well, you know, I wrote this one and I'm more proud of it. There's no ownership. Like, you know, in rumors of war, it was not that way. You know, it was very much, I, I, right, and I was a dictator, you know, I'm like, Hey, come in, here's how it goes. Here's how it needs to be. You know, this needs to appeal to a lot of people. We want to get it on the radio. We, we, we want to play warp tour, whatever, whatever, right? Like you're writing for, you have a five-year plan, essentially. Yeah, like, like you're, you're, you're writing for that. So it was like, this is how things have to be. This, You know, when I came in, I'm like, the first thing I'm going to do is check my ego and my control at the door. This is everybody's project. And, you know, um, it's, 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 I think it's been a, a personal growth experience for me, too, like not being in charge because I'm so used to, you know, to doing that. So, um, and I love these guys so much that whenever I get, out of hand, they can put me in my place pretty fast. <laughs> nice. Yes, Mama Ben. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, honestly, it's just having no ego and having everybody's opinion be welcome is kind of the, the foundation of everything. And, you know, if something doesn't sound right when you're writing a song, you don't need to force it. Like if, if a part goes in there and it's like, well, that does it for now, 
we'll go back and listen to the song over and over. Like we record a lot of our practices and we'll listen to it over and over. And, you know, sometimes that part that you thought was a train wreck, the more you listen to it, you're like, actually, that actually sounds great. Or, you know, you'll be driving in the car and all of a sudden you're like, wait, here's what we can do the song. This, this will work better. Let's do that. And we show back up next week. Like, Hey, I got an idea. Let's, let's go this route with the song. I mean, we just did it. Last week for crying out loud, yeah. like how we were, important do you we were find stuck it on to a part and you know gave it a week to marinate and came back and we're like I have it I've got a I've got a solution that'll fix that. Nice. How important do you find it to record your practices and be able to give it that critical listen like that instead of trying to do it all in real time? We're old. Our have you always are not done the that? same? <laughs> so let, let's not uh, give ourselves undue credit for. Uh, um, being brilliant songwriters and recording the the practice in that way. We're doing it because we're old and we're forgetful. So if we write something this week and then we come back in seven days to practice to work on that song, everyone's going, what did I write? Like, yeah. how did that go? So, so it's first a placeholder. Yes. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to listen to this as I drive to practice today. Be like, okay, that's what I did. So when yeah. we get there. Because there's like little happy accidents too, because like as we're, like if we have a full shell of a song, we'll run it over and over uh, to tighten it up and kind of see if, if what we like is there and it's where it needs to be. Or um, we'll kind of improvise, all of us will, in, in different aspects. And when we're recording that, one of us might do that. And it might be like those little Bob Ross, little happy accidents. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, ooh, that what you did, improv, whatever, keeping that. Like yeah, little yeah. little things that like you have to catch on film or audio happened last week yeah it was, it was an accident that happened in the middle of the song and i'm like that that is amazing keep that you know yep so cool so how do you know when it's done then how do you know when you're ready to stop rehearsing it and start recording it that's a good maybe just i feel like it's like a feeling of like you when you have that kind of shell of a song and then you're happy with it up to a point you get lyrics on it and then I mean, we've had it sometimes where we change it in recording. When we're recording, like, uh, Nesting Dolls, our first single we put out after the last record, there was a lot of things, not even in, like, actual guitars, bass, and drums, but, like, post-processing, like adding strings or little horn sections or whatever. Mm-hmm. And little things to flare that kind of pop up um, that you're always going to add. Um, or even just changing a synth part or, you know, you have we have a lot of time up until we're like, I'm mastering this now. like. Right. We're we're at this point. I can always go back, but once we like send that out to Ashtray, like you know, make sure everyone's cool with it. Um, but yeah, just general consensus. Like I try to send like if I'm mixing something down, I send as many mixes as I can. I'm like, cool. Everyone likes this part. This sounds good. This sounds good. Like we have time to tweak. Let's tweak. Um, then yeah, just kind of end up like everyone gives like a thumbs up in the group chat and <laughs> like, all right, send it. Yeah. Send it to print. So that's how it's just a matter of consensus. Oh, yeah. There'll be a moment where we're like, okay, we all feel like it's done. And if one person doesn't feel like it's done, it's not done. So how do you handle the the mixing and mastering then? You do that? Or the mastering you have as a, th- uh, a third party? No, I, I do it. <laughs> so what's your tracking process like? Well, we, we did our first album um, the old school way um, <laughs> because I'm old. And, With uh, a hammer and chisel. Yeah, yeah. We, we recorded it in the studio um, by um, Scott Anderson, who's the um, guitarist for Have Gun, Will Travel. Oh, cool. Um, he's got his own studio uh, up in North Tampa. So we we tracked the album with him, um, but we, we wanted to support our friends. So we decided to track the album with him, and then we brought the stems 
to Matt Desir at Burnt Orange Sound Studio. Matt mm-hmm. Desir is a dear friend, and he's just a and a lovely, a vital, lovely studio. Oh, an oh, incredible studio. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, so we worked with him for the mixing, um, and he did. He just did an absolutely fantastic job. Um, and you know, as we're done, um, you know, one of Matt joined the band like two thirds of the way through finishing up the the album, right? Um, and the first so, record. correct. Yeah. And so when we got done, um, Matt said, you know, one of my passions is, is, is recording as well. Like I, I, I love doing this. I do it myself as a hobby. Like, why don't we do the next, you know, recording project? I'd love to do it. I'd love to do it. And I was like, no, Matt, we have to, we have to go to a recording <laughs> studio. That's just how it's done. It's tried and true. You can't, you-, you can't do it at home on your, you know, laptop. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he he convinced me to give it a shot, and so we did our last single, Nesting Dolls, um, completely ourselves, um, and we're just so extraordinarily happy. I mean, that that song is what got us on Astray Monument Records, yeah. and the first thing they said back to us after hearing the song was like, who produced that? It sounds incredible. Um, so Matt is really our, our secret weapon. He's just got a, a, a great ear uh, and a real talent for doing it, so this new EP um, that we're getting close to finishing up um, is completely um, self-produced. Yeah, um, but not, not everybody has a Matt in their band. So. Yeah, it's good when you have like an engineer or somebody that can kind of like get it. You know? If you don't have a Matt <laughs> Broback in your band, please go see Matt this year at Burn Orange Sound Studios. Right. If Absolutely. you don't have a this Matt, is not a find, find the Matt. other Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Find the other Matt at Burn Orange because he's a, a genius as well. <laughs> yeah, he's a mad scientist. I, I love him to death. Yeah, great, great facility for sure. So how does how does this all come together then? I mean, are you tracking drums live or are you programming it? I mean, I know it's a little bit different animal when you're not in a in a studio doing it the old way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, how do you how do you skin that cat? We actually so our drummer Alex has an e kit, so we do everything MIDI. Oh, so nice. we actually so 100 percent in the box. For the most part, well, except for well, vocals, we do separately. Like Ben will send them to me from the house, and I just do that remote. So, um, Alex has a e kit, um, and he just sends whatever over, and I throw it through. Like I mainly use Get Good Drums as my my main shells, um, and I multi them out and I mix them accordingly, and kind of go from there. Um, one, it's free. Like other than the amount of money that I've spent on plugins yeah, right. and gear, um, <laughs> which is a lot. yeah, uh, we already talked about credit card debt before the podcast, yeah, right. so yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, it works out really well because I was as apprehensive in the beginning because kind of bringing myself back to where I started with this. I've not been doing this long. This was a goal for me in during the pandemic, um, locked in the house, not doing anything. I'm like. I want to get back into music. So I stopped playing for five or six years and just didn't play guitar, didn't play any, just left the music world. And I was like, you know, I'm going to buckle down and I see that you can get interface. Like the whole music world had shifted and changed in the last few years that I wasn't paying attention. Really? Yeah. So I'm like, I was oh, able yeah. to get an, uh, yeah. a Scarlet, Focusrite Scarlet solo third gen interface for like a hundred bucks. Nice. And I'm like, cool. I have a decent enough laptop I can finagle some stuff and see what I can do, right? Like, I've had some experience in the past with uh, recording, so I can kind of put the pieces together. And um, 
I will give all the credit to YouTube University yes. for teaching me how to do everything. Um, and just I just kind of hit the ground running, and I ended up writing um, a pop punk EP for myself and trying to find people to do vocals. Like, I could do everything but my own vocals because I'm not as comfortable doing a full lead vocal. Right. So, I have like, everything was done except for that, and they just kind of sat there, and then, then I joined the band, and like you said, we were kind of halfway through. Actually, they had already done tracking, and they were already doing mixing, so I got in on the mixing sessions over at Burn Orange. I'm um, like, well, I mean, I have enough knowledge at this point for, you know, some light mastering, and let me... See if I can take a stab at it, and so you know, save a little bit of money on our, you know, yeah. make it make sense. Um, and it worked; it turned out really nice. I'm like, okay. So then that's why I kind of pushed, like, well, if we're gonna do this again, let's do it a little bit different. That's kind of the mantra of what we do. Let's try it all in the box and see how it works. These guys are like, well, uh, we need to, you know, mic up cabs and you know, have live drums, <laughs> and it's like. But, 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 but. <laughs> no, this is the way it's done. Yeah. You have to do that. <laughs> Which I don't knock at all. I, I love the tried and true way. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> you know, for facilities and for financials, it didn't make sense. So it's like, well, let's give it a shot, right? If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And we can just go do something else if it doesn't work. And going through, like, my my bread and butter is Neural DSP for plugins, like for, for amp sims. I have gotten some of the best sounding like guitar tones out of just simple plugins in the box. And it's like, it, it feels weird because of where we come from of like, it needs to be, you know, a hundred watt head and a, you know, four twelve you know, whatever. Like, Pants flapping. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like okay. it's gotta be loud as all can be, but you can still get that loudness and that, that authentic sound that doesn't sound like an old pod farm from, you know, the early 2000s. Yeah, totally know. different animal. The, yeah. kid, the kidney bean. The kidney bean. The <laughs> oh, infamous yeah. kidney bean. Everyone yeah. remembers the kidney oh, bean. I definitely had that. Pod farm, man. I still have pod farm presets from Joey Sturgis, who did, like, all the metalcore records in, like, the early, you know, later 2000s, 2010, like, Asking Alexandria, Attack, Attack, all that stuff. Um, I have his presets, and I, I have a digital version, a VST, of the pod farm, and I still mess with them because they're still some like gems in there yeah if you want that beehive distortion yeah. <laughs> you can get it from there i won't forget the moment like when when i sat down to, to track guitars for for that single like i sat down really skeptical like this is going to sound digital I, I you know i spent so much time building my tone with my amp and my my pedal board like i'm right. really proud of it and i don't want to go plug into a laptop and lose all the time I spent investing in tone. And Matt just very calmly sits down with me and says, okay, here's what we're doing. And, and he pulls up a modeler for a Marshall JCM 2000 and then pulls in cabs and pulls in a Marshall 1968 cab. And then literally starts digitally building my, my pedal board. Like, okay, you know, the reverb pedal you use, well, we're going to pull down the digital version of that. And we literally built my actual real world amp and cab and pedal board. And then I, I played through it and I was, I was absolutely dumbfounded. I'm like, I can't tell the difference <laughs> between my, my live cab and what I'm playing through with these plugins. I was absolutely blown away. So I, I totally ate my words on, on that one. That's, yeah. That's what I, I was, wanted I to was ask impressed. you. Did you feel like it affected your tracking at all? Because there's some of that squishy no, to I, an amp that you can't get out of the box, even though I went the box into it sounds kicking really good. And screaming, but, but it, it, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed at the tone 
we've been able to get out of it. I think it sounds really, really genuine. And again, I, I was the most skeptical of everyone in the band of, of doing it. So I'm a, I'm a complete, Rightly so. I mean, yeah. you come from the old guard, and as we all do, and we have that, that's how songs are made. You, you mic with a 57 or whatever, and then you, you hit the ground running. That's rock and roll. That's rock and roll. And if I was able to do that, absolutely, I would be doing that all day long. But there's just a little charm with the, the new guard um, being that you, you can pull up like STL tones, for example. They have people that capture their amps and put them up and you have artist presets. You know, right. they're like artist packs, essentially. So, And they're just the the raw amp. Like they do throw pedals in front of them sometimes for that. But most of the time, like you want an EVH, cool. There's a 5150, there's a block letter. You want some Mesa, cool. You want some Dumbles, like good Good luck getting your hands on a dumbbell that doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. Right. Here, here's a perfect, like, one-to-one capture. Of, and having the environment to record it properly and the mics and the pre's and all that stuff. So it does take an incredible amount of the headache out of it. Yeah, let the dude with the million-dollar studio give me the, the, the stuff, you know, the sounds, and I can actually go ahead and use those on my end. So on the consumer end, it's it makes you feel... A little better about kind of what you're doing, right? But like, I don't know. And they're, they're all people that I admire and follow, and they have have changed the world and how they produce and record and engineer bands. And it's like, like Aaron Sprinkle. I have a lot of his stuff, and he did a lot of like early pop punk records that I'm a huge fan of, or like The Machine or Will Putney, right? Like these guys are heavy hitter names, right. you know. Um, and I can have their guitar tone that's just sitting in their studio. Like that's such a weird idea that i can get that so coming from the old school a little bit where basically nothing was like that (laughs) and now everything is like that how important do you think that is to keeping this going as a for fun thing because now it's more accessible to put out a song you You couldn't you couldn't really do this for fun before because it was not cheap yeah i will say the only drawback to all of this and and we're all going to nod our heads at this (laughs) is the the thing that's missing is that feeling you get when you're with your buds in a recording studio for a full weekend? Oh yeah, like 16 hours a day, <laughs> watching each other, you know, through the glass, lay down drums and cracking jokes and hanging out, and just that bonding time you get in a studio is you you can't replicate that right yeah. so until that, it's the vocalist turn. Yeah, and then everyone leaves for lunch. Yeah, you know? everybody's <laughs> tense as hell, and we got a teeter yeah. on breaking up. Yeah. I swear I sing this at rehearsal perfect every time. It's, it's perfectly fine. Just throw some attitude on it. You won't know the difference. I swear. I swear. <laughs> but it does take some of the pressure out of that, though, right? I mean, yes, you definitely lose all of that camaraderie thing, and the studio is kind of like, you know, one time at band camp on overdrive. <laughs> um, I, I don't think I've, I've ever recorded. I, I'm sure every singer will always tell you this. It's not just me. I don't think we've I've ever put out a release with any musical project I've ever been where I didn't look back at my vocals at the final product and be like, ah, I could have done that line so much better. But you're on the clock, you know, and you're paying by the hour, and you're like, it's it's good enough, it'll have to do. Mm-hmm. Now, in my incredibly elaborate vocal booth known as the walk-in closet, um, we can the do... The WIC. Yeah, yeah dude. <laughs> we can, I can, I can lay down vocal track and send it to Matt, and he'll drop it in, and I'll listen to it for, for a week or two and be like, I know I can do that third line better. I know I can do that third line better. So I'll go back in and pull everything up and take an, a shot at you know whatever 
vocal inflection that I didn't feel was right or whatever pitch wasn't right and redo that line and send it off to Matt and drop in a new line so that, you know, that's the beauty of doing this is we're not on the clock so we can take as long as we want to do it. We're not in any hurry to put it out and we can really make sure that what we put out is exactly what we want. You know, no, no errors, no regrets. No, I wish I would have done that one thing better, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's kind of just creates a little better product i guess when everything comes out because you, you don't have that pressure to perform you know? yeah it's got a six and one half dozen the other you yeah. kind of take a little yeah. bit of maneuvering parts around to make things work but yeah i, I totally agree and you can also kind of speed up your, your your workflow in a way and if you were able to churn out more songs you can do that you know that and make your qualifications but yeah there's just that, that kind of freedom and that weight off your shoulder that you're not under that time crunch, the clock isn't running, you know, your wallet's not draining at the moment. Like you you can kind of just focus in almost blinder wise on the songs itself and the tracking and how, you know, you can sit there, you know, how normally you take a few hours to do some tone shaping in the studio. We, we you know, you'd spend days doing it. Right. You know, not at the bat an eye. And it works. And I'm actually happy that it did because. It started, again, from fun. I just wanted to play guitar, make music, and just get the ideas that had been burning in my head for the last five or ten years out somewhere. And I did that, and I got that kind of, okay, now what? (laughs) I think it's cool how adaptive recording studios are being. Again, you know, um, you take a guy like Matt this year at Burn Orange. I mean, he's not only is he still, you know, recording bands and putting out albums that way, but He's diversified and he's doing a ton of um, audiobooks. Right. And and he's also really taken with with his new studio location, taken to another level of live streaming bands performing live in, in in the recording room. Very cool. And setting up like 4K, you know, multi multi location cameras mm-hmm. and bands are actually able to go in and, and film a live video. So yeah. if there's a band that's putting together an EPK or, or something and they want footage of the band actually performing, I mean, Mac can set all that up in the live room and do it and mix it and create this not just incredible audio product, but an incredible video product for yeah. his customers. And that's just him thinking ahead. Using yeah. the head. You know? Yeah, and it's and it's a, a very eye catching scene too. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Yeah, you can't get can't go wrong with that room. Yeah. That is a beautiful live room. Yeah. And the piano too. Oh I know. Uh, so speaking of videos, did you do you have a video for nesting dolls, right? No, the two videos we put out uh, were from our uh, previous album. Uh, first video we put out was for a song called "All the King's Horses," and then uh, the most recent video we did um, was for the final song on the EP. Uh, which why am I forgetting the name of our, our own song? Someday, I. Sake, singing. <laughs> someday, someday I will I. remember the someday name of the song. I. Someday I will remember the name of our video. Um, <laughs> And that one, we had an incredible um, writer-director, a good friend of mine named Dev Walker. Um, he owns a local um, film production company called 1836 Co. Um, he did he did an incredible job yeah. with the video. Just absolutely blew us away. Um, so we're we're very proud of that one. That's and, the one that's in like a warehouse? Uh, I, well, they're both in, in sort of a warehouse. <laughs> Warehouse-looking one, area. One is more of a warehouse. The, the newer one is kind of in an old, abandoned 
uh, building in downtown Bradenton that we shot up in the second floor because it's just got all this exposed brick and old oh, wood cool. rafters. And I mean, it just, no, that it wasn't just, the one I saw. Uh, no, that must've been King's horses. Then yeah. Yeah. it looked like it was kind of warehousey. Yeah. 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 That one just looked like we we're in well, an airplane we'll hangar. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, he, he, he did an incredible job. Um, and then we, we, uh, we had Ryan Bodie from Bodie films do, uh, do the first one that you're talking about in the in like the big airplane hangar one because you know being in commercial real estate I have access to great big airplane hangar warehouses at times so. awesome yeah <laughs> use, perfect use, use, use my day job to find some film locations right on <laughs> so you're not playing live at the moment right no we took a short break to just you know really get serious about we had a like I said it takes us a long time to write a song so it's like we need to finish finish writing and finished recording so uh we just about wrapped up recording our last um writing our last song we're, we're pretty close to done mm-hmm. and we're probably about two-thirds of the way through the recording of the ep we're we're hoping to put it out sometime in january i think if, if all if all goes well um our record label wanted us to put a single out a little earlier because they're very smart about that and reminding us to stay current. Um, so um, one of the already finished songs that we showed and they're like, this is great. Like put, put that out early. So we're, we're actually going to put that single out. Um, I think November 10th is the slated release date. And then we're, I think we're on track to, to put the whole EP out in January. It'll probably be five songs. So you're going to do only one single before you drop it? Correct. So how do you feel? This is something I get to ask everybody. How do you feel about the, I hate to say it, but the way the game is played now with having to, like you said, stay current and pump out? Man. Everyone says follow what hip hop does. Yes. You know, and just single, 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 and then just put out, you know, the album itself, you know, so it's collectively so that gets more streams. Like, I get why they do it, but... Uh, something nice about having single single album. Or, yeah, you know. man, I'm so torn between those those awesome days of like going out and buying an album, right, and sitting down and opening up the liner notes. And I mean, it was an experience, right? You listen to 100%. it from front to back yep. to get the experience of the artist, and and the lyrics were just as important as the song, and the 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 cover design and the layout was just important like how, how how many incredible albums do we associate with artwork right. as well right yep. and and now you know um it just is what it is we're in a we're in a social media generation mm-hmm. we've got shorter attention spans and and music just has to adapt to that right i mean the downside of that great experience of sitting in front of the stereo is that a band took you know, a year to write and record this album, and then they put it out, and then they toured on it for a year, at and least, then they took a year least. off. So you know, you'd have three years between albums, and you know, by the time our band put out a new out, or any band that we loved would put out an album, it would always be like, oh yeah, I haven't heard from them in forever. Well, mm-hmm. because that was the cycle of music. Now it's like you've got to stay current, so you're yeah. you're setting things out in bite sizes. You know, um, I was chatting with with Matt Burke. From Have Gun Will Travel, we've we've been dear friends and um, musician pals in bands with each other and and alongside each other for probably the better part of thirty years now. And nice, we we had a lot of these long conversations of like, man, the music industry is so different than you know. He and I started, uh, he started even earlier than me, but I, I started playing in bands in '94, 
95, you know, Sarasota and Brainton was a whole lot different as far as the live music scene went then. But still, like, how we cut our teeth and the way the music industry was and what you did, it's, it's, it's so different. And you can either adapt or you're toast. Yeah, um, that and, seems and to I, be and the I thing. push against it, but, you know, uh, I... I don't push against it because I don't agree with it. I think this new small bite size process of putting music out that artists are doing is intelligent and it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, in a marketing regard, you're in saying? In a marketing regard, but you know, in an emotional, I, I feel bad that this generation is being robbed of that, you know, that experience of sitting down and taking in a whole album and the anticipation of that um, and really giving the artists you know, the, your, your attention and your love by doing that. So, yeah. you know, we can cry for the way things used to be, I suppose, <laughs> for a very long time. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad I had those special moments, you know, with music and it mm-hmm. kept me being a musician for the rest of my life. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm starting to see this, this generation kind of start to buck that trend and be like, we want to go back to the, the physical, to the physical, medium, like, yeah. you know, vinyl records being as popular as they are. I don't think vinyl records are as popular as they are because people want to sit in front of a record player. <laughs> no. Right. Nobody, let's be real. Nobody really does that. You know, nobody has the time to sit people there. People just like collecting things now. I they like <laughs> Lord of the Horde, they, I call it. They, they like holding it. They like having that. They want to pull out the, you know, this generation is Remember finding out what it's like to hold that physical copy and pull out those liner notes, you know, and yeah. and get that. And that that's that's awesome. That gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, instead of waiting for a Friday playlist to drop. Yeah, uh, and it kind of takes the the joy out of it a little bit. Like, I mean, I do it all the time. I sit there with my <clears throat> my release radar on Spotify, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, cool, like all these bands drop music. But actually, having physical, tangible something of a band, whether it's, I mean, I was at Goodwill the other day and I found an Alice Cooper 8-track nice. of, like, Billion Dollar Babies. Nice. I'm like, I don't have an 8-track player. <laughs> like, I'm like, I might want to go get one now. But just I still want worth collecting. I still yeah, want to have it. Like, you know, I mean, I'm only 30. I'm not, I'm, I'm the youngest one in the band. I'm the baby. But I grew up with a, a much older uh, dad, so... I mean, he's 82 this year, so I, I come from anything from 1941 onward were my influences. Yeah, essentially growing. Your, your pedigree is respectable. Yeah, friend. it's like Eric Clapton and then like the Staple Singers and Buddy Holly and like, you know, a little bit of Motley Crue and, you know, B.B. King and all every kind of like influence musically that wasn't like punk I got into that myself with like my childhood friend Artie turned me on to like the Sex Pistols and the Clash and you know stuff like that. Good cornerstones. Oh, dude, that is just like, yep, shoehorn. You're in. That's yep. that's where you're gonna go. And it's like, cool. I want to do nothing but play like thrash punk music now. Like, and to my dad's dismay, I ended up in a hardcore band and uh, playing at Mixing Fruit Farms on the back of an eighteen wheeler truck bed to two people, including. Well, which were just my mom and dad. <laughs> Why is it that story. everybody always remembers the first time they heard punk? Oh, but, everyone, re- everyone remembers the first time they heard punk. They remember what the shattering. room smelled like. They remembered what the people next to them had on their shirt. Like, yeah. you know, the day you heard punk, you know, you, you I heard never God forget. Save the Queen was like the one of the first punk songs that I ever heard. And I'm just like, what is, is that? What is that moment? Like, right. you, you don't know how to 
you're, you're you're just so elated with that kind of dopamine rush or it's serotonin a unique rush. energy it is you're just like especially i think it's it, it really hits you at the at the right age because i was kind of in that early adolescent like angsty phase i was starting to get a little mouthy you know? <laughs> <laughs> punk rock's good for that yeah wow. it, it just fed it fed into that where like it ended up at a time where like my dad brought out his um his encyclopedias that he has in the garage because he's old school and he looked up the definition of punk and he goes you're a punk that's what you think you are you know that kind of conversation it's like then having to luckily at the time I had the wherewithal to tell him like hey it's not I'm a punk it's the scene it's the going against the grain a little bit for the greater good and there's a lot of good that comes out of that you know kind of music and kind of turned his his head on it a little bit and parents just don't understand they don't get it man you know <laughs> god mom <laughs> mom I just want a Pepsi like you know yeah. you go back to suicidal tendencies yeah. like it's 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 a whole I mean that's the older older guard you know of music you know Lawrence Welk my dad listened to a lot of Lawrence Welk growing up and you know it, and the Beatles, like he yeah, had everything well, Beatles. You can't skip the Beatles. Yeah. So being thirty, that's kind of a unique on the cusp. Did you have the going to the record store buying? Oh, absolutely. Okay, you remember the first physical media you bought? First physical media I bought was, and I'm terrible and at next, the name of the so record. Don't try to, don't try <laughs> yeah, to skip. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna try and stall so you can you can think. It was on a tablet. It was on. <laughs> mine was a good Charlotte record of all things. Uh, I think it was. I think it's called Young and Reckless, Young and Hopeless. I can't remember the name of the actual record, but they're sitting in front of the TV, and that was the first, uh, it was a CD that I bought, and then a bunch of Led Zeppelin records. Nice. I just I picked up as many as I could get because I've listened to House of the Holy, and I was obsessed with it, and I just wanted everything I could get, and I was actually in the Virgin record store in Orlando and downtown Disney. Nice. I remember the exact spot that I was, and I was in the top floor nice. area. Yeah, that was... Yeah, House of the Holy is a weird one to get into Zeppelin through. I, 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 I fully co-signed on that one, but you don't hear that too much. No. <laughs> what about you? Oh, man. Um, so I was raised a good church kid, and um, one of the first concerts I ever was brought to, uh, my parents brought me to the Robart Sports Arena to see a band called Petra. And Petra was, you know how, like, Contemporary Christian music is always like a Xerox of a popular yeah, yeah. band at the time, right? Well, right. I Petra was like the Christian version of Boston. No okay. way. <laughs> and That's so, almost kind of scary. <laughs> so like eight-year-old me is at Robart Sports Arena, and, and they come out and, and put on this rock show. Like I hadn't been exposed to rock, and I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> like I'm so blown away. So, you know, my parents let me get an album on the way out and nice. I'm looking at the art right and and they didn't just sound like Boston like their album covers if you look at any Petra album <laughs> it's, it's the, the spaceship you know. guitar and I'm like, <laughs> like this is like Star Wars and it's rock and it's amazing and then sold <laughs> and then like you know that's when I'm 8 right and then all of a sudden 11 and 12 mm-hmm. you know um Third Stage by Boston comes out, and and I I get that album, and I buy that album, and I'm looking at the Boston albums, and I'm like, these guys are ripping off Petra, man. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this looks just like a Petra album cover. Um, Nice. But, uh, yeah. See, it's all a matter of perspective. It is, yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure that was my first physical 
physical album that I held. How so, long after that did you start playing music? I started playing music uh, when I was a freshman. Um, I actually, it's so funny. I just, I just got back from Furnace Fest in Birmingham over the weekend. Did you see Trash Talk? Uh, I missed them. It was a, it was an overlap, and there was there was probably four or five bands I missed because we were we were doubled up. So I'm a little bummed about that. All right, but, uh, side story. That's Sorry, amazing. Had I, to get in there. I stayed in in Birmingham with my high school friend who put a guitar in my hand for the first time ever and and taught me my first chords. And he taught me Sunday Bloody Sunday oh, as man. I was sitting in the hall after detention and in, in, at school, and like I I. I'm now a musician because of him. Like I tell him so every cool. time I'm up there, I'm like, dude, I wouldn't, you know, he's, he's like, I love listening to your band. I love what you've done musically. And I'm like, all of this is because of you, like <laughs> you put a guitar in my it's hand. your fault. <laughs> um, so my parents brought me up on piano as a kid, but you know, had to do piano lessons. You had to practice 30 minutes a day. You had to play these songs that we give you. So, you know, after about eight years of piano lessons, I was like, screw you, mom and dad. You can't force me to do anything. And I quit. Right. And, um, and, and when that friend put that guitar in my hand, I was just enamored. And I like learned more songs and more songs and more songs. And I remember my parents saw me kind of getting serious about being on a guitar and they're like, son, why don't you get lessons? And I'm like, no, <laughs> we've already done this once. <laughs> so I can, again. I can now tell you that I've been playing guitar poorly for 30 years and have never had a lesson and it shows. That's so awesome. I just surround myself with musicians who are better than me. So nobody notices my, my lackluster guitar abilities 30 years later. But you do have some theory knowledge from all that piano. Yeah, and I and I I you know obviously with age comes wisdom. Man, I wish I never would have quit. I wish I would have kept on on piano. Um, my my daughter is is an incredible piano player. Like I could sit and listen to my daughter for hours. And awesome. I'll, you know, and the thing with her was when when she got instru- instruments, I I remembered the mistake I made, and I told my daughter like, listen, if you like piano, we'll pay for you to get lessons. The minute music becomes like a chore, the minute you don't enjoy going, the minute you don't want to go to piano lessons, you can stop. Mm-hmm. And because we gave her that boundary, I think she never wanted to stop. Yeah. And she got to a point where literally even the teacher was like, I can't teach you anything else. Like you've, you've got it. And she's, she's just incredible. Like the stuff that she records is just I'm so jealous. She's got a musical ear that, you know, I don't have. My son is my son is also into music as well and he's completely on the end of the spectrum. He he loves producing and, and making uh, electronic music and hip hop and beats and samples and all kinds of things. Like he's Very completely cool. on the other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. And Until he, he, he finds loves dad's guitar dude. someday. <laughs> oh, but then, you know, no, he, he, well, he's he, learning now, isn't he? While he's writing all the electronic stuff, he loves guitar bass stuff like we we trade bands back and forth now we just we both just discovered this band called from the uk called casey mm-hmm. uh which just both blew us away and it's so funny that you know my son's 20 and i'm 46 and we're both <laughs> like geeking out over the same hardcore bands you know Love together that. um you know and and when i'm at furnace fest you know like i'm sharing videos with my kids because we both we both love the bands you know they're both equally excited that Anthony Green jumped on their dad's head you know, <laughs> in the pit. Um, but seriously, like my 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 kids have the love because 
we put it in their hands and we're like, I'm not going to force you to like music. If you want to go play sports, go play sports. If you want to do music or music, we'll, we'll, we'll nurture you in whatever you decide to do and support you in it. And, uh, you know, um, it, it, I think it was a good move for them. Absolutely. It was, yeah. What about you, Matt? I know you said you took a little bit of time off. We know how you came back to playing, but how'd you start playing? Um, early memory. So I was probably, well, my dad always had guitars around the house. He played cowboy chords. <clears throat> and uh, he, back when, because he served in the Air Force, he did 30 years in the Air Force. Um, in that time, uh, I think towards the end in the late 70s or the 80s, he was in like a, NCO club band, you know, he played guitar for a little bit, so he could get away with the EAD, GCE, you know, you know, thousands of songs. Made yeah, like yeah. Your, your 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 first position chords, like that's all, you know, all he needed. GCD, cool. you're done. Yep, yep, that's all he needed. <laughs> and uh, he played the same little licks. Like there's two that he played, and he still plays them to this day. Awesome. Um, and I'm always like enamored, even as a little kid. Um, like oh, I want to learn how to play. I want to. And he tried to show me, and my hands weren't big enough. He had this big, uh, full-size dreadnought um, harmony from, that he picked up in the '60s. Um, you need like a step ladder to get you. Yeah. Dude, it was—it's <laughs> like how playing a baritone now feels a little bit longer and weird. Yeah. It was like that for I me. All the I'm Mexican like, restaurants. Yeah, yeah, I'm sitting here. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> then I was thinking, like, oh, I started learning how to like do make make notes on the frets, and it was just all downhill from there. I was probably about five or six when he put that in my hand uh by the age of seven or eight he went to a pawn shop and picked up a washburn bt2 which was my first electric guitar and i still have it I'm, sweet yeah it rips dude it's a three-quarter size like it's great nice um and uh i just kind of kept going and going but a lot of it was appeasing my dad so learning a lot of um guns and roses um eventually ended up trying to appease him and learning the entire solo to Sweet Child of Mine note for note nice. over a year. That was miserable. And then I went and did November Rain and a bunch of stuff. But um, the majority of the front half of what I was playing was mainly blues, blues rock, soul R&B, a lot of Aretha Franklin, uh, like I said, a lot of Clapton, Cream, the Yardbirds. Um, Staples. Just, yeah. just dudes that ripped on guitar, a lot of Hendrix, like all the Hendrix, um, anything Jimmy Page did. Um, I was a fan of, and then getting into punk and then pop punk, finding Blink-182, Newfound Glory, uh, Goldfinger, like, and in my era was like, Tony Hawk Pro Skater was the epitome. That was that was gateway like, drug. That was that was my gateway drug. One hundred percent. Like, yeah, there's more than game. one person who's been here and oh, said yeah. that. It, well, it was it, technically it's the first game with a soundtrack, like actual bands that were licensed, you know, and that did what it did, not only for skateboarding and sports, but for bands and music. They're like, uh, sure, I don't know, whatever you want. Like, here, take the song and do whatever you're gonna do with it. It's, whatever they don't think about it and then it blows up and they're mm -hmm. touring these massive tours all of a sudden like what happened is the power of music there so yeah tony hawk pro skater really set me down that rabbit hole of like early punk and pop punk and indie and like that emo wave like and then getting books on everything like i wanted to learn and digest as much as i could like i would get those 
I think they still sell them at like Barnes and Noble, but the guitar books that show like the history, the anthology of guitars from like the earliest instruments to like the first like Les Paul when he was doing that and like Leo Fender when he's making Fender guitars and mm-hmm. all these offshoot brands up into the 80s and the 90s and then you know like looking at how all of that changed along with music and watching the kind of evenness that kind of everything f- flowed together with um but yeah a lot of it was i think just a video game changed my life with music and i know a lot of people it was the same way so it's like cool i'm gonna learn every song that i can um and then that's kind of what transitioned into um getting in a hardcore band so i was in a band called reflections for I don't know, 2008 to 2000 11 ish. Uh, it was more metalcore, but like experimental metalcore, metalcore with the synth. And it was, nice. you know, um, we opened up for bands like um, Adalia and stuff. We played a lot at Nightlife, <clears throat> which is a nice Christian youth venue that was in Sarasota. There's a, a restaurant there now, unfortunately. Um, but those were very formative years for music. So we have we have seen that sometimes hardcore shows happen in diners, though. That's right. <laughs> that they what do. is up, Denny's? <laughs> <laughs> so part of the reason why you have such a passion for the music is because it isn't just playing it. You're into the guitars, the history of the artists. Yeah. This is this. Is I have crazy. really bad ADD, so I hyperfixate on things. So when I like something, that ends up turning into like a hobby, like music production or making music or being a photographer like i obsess sometimes <laughs> an unhealthy amount of no like the thing. information like i need to know the history I, like if i find a band i love i want to learn everything about them like i want to know where they're from like are there any interviews with them that's that's why i love you know stuff like this where you're interviewing bands and you kind of get to know a little bit more of the incidentals of like where they came from and like it why makes they it all sound tangible. Oh, thank you for what you do, man. That's yeah, awesome it's, that you do it's such a cool. No, I, I'm 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 overjoyed to do it. I'm curious and I love it. But so you guys got all the passion. You got a mat in your band, so you don't got to worry about how you're going to tie the room together. We already know how that's going to be. So what's the next couple months of tying the room together look like between now and finishing up this EP? And what's what's the next little road look like? Just uh, um. Yeah, writing, finishing writing, which we're pretty much at the end of, and and finishing up the recording. Um, we're uh, we're really psyched to have this EP out on a label this time. Um, we've 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 got a fantastic label that we're on called uh, Ashtray Monument Records, and mm-hmm. they've been just Drew and Lewis are like these are also guys that literally just love music, Hell yeah. like so much. They're like they're the kind of people that love music so much. They're like. What can we do? We love music so much. Awesome. Let's start a label those. so we can have more people hear more music. And so, yeah. like, meeting those guys was awesome um, because there's just everybody's on the same wavelength. And we're really, really, really happy that they saw something in us that they wanted to, to get behind. So we're, we're yeah. stoked to be working with them. Um, obviously, playing a, a, a lot of shows come January. Yes. Um, we've been, uh, you know, really getting reestablished mm-hmm. in the Tampa Bay music scene. I mean, I feel like we could do an entirely separate podcast on how the music scene has changed. Absolutely. Booking and venues. Maybe we should. How the business is done, right? Obviously, being part owner of a music venue, I have a foot in both camps now, and it's really wild to right. to, to run both. Um, but, I mean, we were, when we when in transit first started booking shows, 
I felt like a stranger in a strange land. Like, you know, rumors of war, I would just spend a Saturday, get on the phone, use all my networks, and mm-hmm. I'd have the calendar booked up for the next three months. Like, yep, that's the way know, it was done. State yeah. Theater, Tampa, Gainesville, you know, Fort Myers, we'd go all over the state, no problem at all, and, you know, via a telephone and, and MySpace. Right. Yeah. You know, yep. honestly. Yeah, no, I, uh, I remember it that. It made booking tremendously easy, and now, it, I mean, it's it's a wildly different world, and it's hard. And and the 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 way bands network and communicate is different. Everything's just different. And you know, it's it's. I'm not. I don't want to sound like I'm pining for years past. Things no, change. it's just a change. Yeah, things yeah, change. Exactly. But it's like you know, I took 13 years off and then came back into the music business. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to start booking shows. I definitely know how to do this. <laughs> or not. You know, a month later, I'm like, I know Swing nothing. I am, I am a failure at this. Well, and that was a particularly pivotal 13-year period, too. It wasn't yeah. like a 13-year period. That where was literally was- where, you know, in that 13-year period, music went to streaming. CDs vanished. Music stores vanished. Mm-hmm. Like... The entire music industry got turned in on its head right. in yeah. that gap. So, like, I showed up 13 years later, like, I know what I'm doing. No, <laughs> no, not, you do not. We stopped playing that. Who game. took all the furniture out of the room? Like, everything's gone. Well, that's what it was like when I was in Lady and Gentleman. It was like a folk. Um, Americana group that I was in after my hardcore band because that's a shift that you make. Yeah, um, right. It's good for you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, it's cool. That was the whole like stomp, clap, hipster movement, you know, that we yeah, were yeah. kind of in. So we played like New College and Growlers and the Cock and Bull up on, on Cattleman a lot. And, but we started watching all those venues just dry up and just one day they were not there. You know, you yeah. had like the old staples that were still in town, like you had McCabe's and stuff like that, but there was nothing else. So we would just play like, farmers markets and stuff and it's like and then pandemic and then pandemic and, then pandemic. and it was like yeah like our, that band split up before that and it was like, most yeah. venues right oh that was that was that broke my heart to see i knew what was going to happen right i saw that writing on the wall and i'm like that that's not going to bode well like ppe loans can only go so far like right people still need to be in a room and make money and like exist reality exists <laughs> yeah that's the reality of it and like but the way music changed after COVID was another pivotal moment. Like so many bands came out either from retirement or formed new things. And a lot of it was like pissed off as it should have been, you know, cause that was such a wild time of confinement and so much amazing music. Some probably some of the best music in the last 20 years has come out. Definitely a lot of, of inspiration. Yeah. Like, uh, now it's just like an oversaturation, but in a good way. Like I'm happy to see that like venues are opening up. They're doing okay now. Like there's some hope on the horizon for, you know, a really good future. Like the amount of music that's coming out of Bradenton again, it reminds me of the old days and like pining for old days lost. Like they're, but they're back again. Like, yeah, it's just the cyclical. resurgence of art and it's, what that does yeah, for everyone. I think yeah, we can all, all agree, at least between us that like that time, during COVID where, where everything just kind of stopped m- made us realize how much we'd been taking live music for granted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've heard, I've heard that from more than one yeah. group of people for and sure. Like my, my wife now to this day is always telling me, she's like, you are gone at like a concert, like twice a week. Like how many, how many concerts do you need to see? And I'm like, you yes. know what? 2020 taught me that I'm never going to take live music for granted again go to the show yeah. you don't know when they're going to be back again go to the show 
go see a live band, go see a local band, go see a big band, just support them because bands are brave for putting themselves out there and putting their art out there and they need the support of people. And like, I didn't, I've always loved live music, but I, I didn't realize how much I loved live music until it was taken away. Yeah. Right. And then you're like, I would do anything <laughs> to catch a crappy local band and a corner pub right now. Yeah. I would just kill for that. My ears can ring. I don't care. I yeah, don't, I don't I'll, even I'll, care. I'll take the tonight, you know? man. Like, and I even remember that the first show I went to post COVID was Have Gun Will Travel at the Crowbar. Mm. Oh, nice. And like Tom DeGeorge was really taking the lead on on how to do it, you know, in a manner that the public would would feel safe about mm-hmm. so it was like limited capacity the seats were all like eight feet apart you know and and i just remember like sitting there at my table watching have gun run their set first live band i'd seen in like a year and just short of just crying like a baby like right. I, this i'm this, I is miss awesome. this so much you know and i'll i'll you know even with all these weird spacings and masks and all the stuff going on I'll take it just so I can, you know, yeah. be here for this. Hell yeah. And it's like when we went up to Orlando and we saw Sunny Day Real Estate. Oh. I, I, like, I was... Love them. You see how young I am. So I was past the cusp of, like, I'm never going to see them again. Like, yeah. I love their music, you know, and I'll never see them again. And that sucks. They showed up. They started doing a reunion tour, and they just started going again. And I'm like... And I'm not. It. I'm. I'm not missing that. And it was a wonderful show. You've seen him again after that too. Going to see him again on Halloween. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> Never not see him. I think that's probably why we're seeing so many reunions right now. It yeah. is a wild time for mm-hmm. bands like doing reunions all right. over the place. And I, I yeah. truly believe it's because all those guys were like confined with nothing but their thoughts for months on end, and they're like. And a lot of that art became significant again. Yeah. I mean, the rising tide, if we're going to stick with Sunny Day Real Estate, the rising tide is one of those albums that you could get every band around right now and hard press them to make something like that. And it's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, those things really. You don't want really, to turn this into a three hour podcast. No. By those, <laughs> things, those, those things really encapsulate a period of time. And it isn't really like a forlorn thing. It's more like these are, this is a positive reminder. This is a good thing we can experience again. Exactly. You know what I mean? So I would definitely love to have you guys back and talk to Needy Greedy. Um, but we can get out of here on something easy I like to ask, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split it up since you got different different avenues sure. in this. Yeah. If you could put together a dream tour, you and two other bands, who would it be? Don't do that to me. No, you, you, you get a different one. <laughs> I'll get a different one, okay. I'll, I'll let you think. Yours is your dream recording situation. If you could have a producer or somebody in with you, where are you at and how are we doing it? Oh. I can only pick two bands, huh? Yeah, well, we're going to do an old school tour. Okay. If we're going to go old school and, and pay attention to the old school, I would say <laughs> that we would want to be on tour with Fugazi. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Six dollar cover. Uh, then. Yeah. Nope. Well, no, we'll we'll make it five. We'll make it five. Yeah. All right. All <laughs> Screw right. inflation. We'll keep it at the five dollar ticket price. All right. Price. All right. All right. <laughs> um, and uh, honestly, sunny day. You know, um, if you know, honorable mention going to Hot Water Music. I think, oh, but yeah. we're trying to go, you know, real far back. And you know, S- Sunny Day was a band that that changed how I view music. And, and probably Texas is a reason too. Ooh, yeah. the, those those two bands kind of changed how I 
like I didn't realize you could do that with music. Nice. Um, <laughs> that was me know. and Jawbox, dude. <laughs> yeah. And and Fugazi, you know, is just. You can't touch Fugazi. Can't. Nah, that's all I gotta that's say. That's legend Fugazi, status. Yeah. Period. <laughs> Done. So, yep. Yep. So uh, those those will those will those will be my perfect tours. That's where I can die a happy man. So nice. now we put that in the good combo. We, have it, we do that now. I think that that might top Devin Townsend Metallica. Okay. I mean, I'll take Devin. Townsend. Oh yeah, Ian McKay. If you're listening, please get Fugazi back together. <laughs> we'll both go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what? producer studio, right? Yeah. Dream recording situation. Oh, a room full of Marshall plexis um, that have ever been made. Um, I would I would die to work with Will Putney. And there you go. Like just free range. Like I honestly, if you just stuck me in a studio and said you have like two weeks, just have fun, do whatever you want. Just a, like a kid in the candy shop. Hell yeah. Give me toys, let me play. Like I would tinker around. I'd find like that's what I've, that's been my dream is to have my own little spot, just to have everything I'll ever need. You know, guitar, bass, drums, piano, xylophones, wood, brass instruments, stuff that I could like. I don't even know how to play wind instruments, but I would sit there and learn. Like right. just give me something new to play, like, and then just record whatever I want to record. And just have free fun. for all. Just a free for all. Yeah, kid in a candy shop, man. Awesome. <laughs> well, your guys' passion for the music is definitely palatable. It's super cool. I really appreciate you guys coming down here, sharing a little bit of your story and a little bit of your knowledge. And we're going to do part two. It's going to be subtitled Needy Greedy. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you guys. Thank you, man. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no problem.